All right. I just hit the live button, so we're okay. we're live. That conversation. Yeah, we're done with that conversation. <laughs> we'll move on to bigger and better things. So, <laughs> so I uh, I appreciate you coming on. I really do. It's very nice of you. You're I've been a faithful viewer. So oh, thank you. Thank you. You have a career in law enforcement that we're going to get into and discuss. So, um, well, just a couple more people, I guess, need to show up, or someone needs to show up. So <laughs> they better so, show up. They better show up, right? <laughs> I had people setting reminders. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, listen, I appreciate uh, you putting out the, the, the word out and really mean something. Yeah. So well, we're, yeah. we're trying to help. You know, that's yeah. what we do. We try to yeah. make people be great. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we got a couple of viewers. Thank you so much to the viewers there. Appreciate it. Uh, so we are here with Tracy Letterer, and I really appreciate you coming on Captain Hunter's podcast. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Absolutely. So uh, do you want to just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Um, I am a retired chief probation officer for the state of Connecticut. Um, I went to college in Connecticut. I went to Eastern Connecticut State University. I have a bachelor's in sociology and criminal justice. I have a master's degree in criminal justice and a master's degree in public safety leadership. Um, I retired from probation in 2016. Actually, April 1st will be five years already. Oh, wow. Time flies. <laughs> Time flies. Um, I started my career in corrections, actually. Um, I was a correctional counselor, so I was there for about four and a half years. I worked at um, Whaley Avenue in New Haven, and I also worked in central office in the um, community division where like parole and stuff was. Okay. Um, let's see. I, uh, when I retire, I've taught college classes at Northwestern Community College in, up in Winstead on probation um, and I've guest lectured at um, Quinnipiac, uh, Naugatuck Valley, Northwestern, um, Central Connecticut State University. Um, what else? Well, I've done so many things. Yeah, he's done so many things. I've narrowed it down. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> currently I work for the Department of Corrections with the state of New Hampshire uh, part-time it's my retirement gig I work Tuesdays Wednesdays and Thursdays and I am the victim offender dialogue coordinator and basically what that means is victims or survivors of serious violent crimes um, or their family member if it was a deceased person um, that want to have a one-time face-to-face facilitated conversation with the person that caused them harm I facilitate that I actually work with each party for anywhere from six months to two years to get them across the table from each other to have that conversation sometimes victims want answers about you know what were their loved ones last words or oh, why you know why did you do that or um, or they want the person that committed the crime to know the impact on them, their family, what life has been like. And sometimes they want to meet with the offender because they want to see what they're doing and how, if anything, if they've changed their life and what they're trying to do to better themselves. So um, it's not for everybody, but there are people in, in New Hampshire, it is uh, the 22nd right for victims on the Bill of Rights. So. Oh, for the victim's bill of rights. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. So they do have a right to it, statutory right to it. But uh, it is a voluntary program, so um, it's voluntary on the part of the offender and the victim. It's a victim-initiated, victim-centered process um, and offender-sensitive. We're not trying to cause harm to either party, but it takes a long time, like I said, anywhere from six months to two years. So we've completed seven of them. Since I've been there, 
Is that a new is that a new program? Is that no. Um what happened was when I got I got hired in two thousand seventeen, the state of New Hampshire, the previous director passed away in two thousand thirteen and they had no one doing the program. So basically they weren't in statutory compliance until I got hired and then it took like a year to revamp the policy for me to get trained. There's a a 40-hour facilitator training to be able to do the kind of work um, and get the program up and running. So we've had probably about 45 referrals, um, but not all go to dialogue. Sometimes they start the process and either the offender pulls out or the victim pulls out. Um, so we've had seven completed. We started mid-2018. Obviously, we didn't do any in 2020 because of the pandemic so mm. we've had seven um for reference if anybody's interested in that kind of work van jones from cnn did a project not this past summer but the summer before called um the redemption project and i think there were about six or eight episodes uh what he portrayed in that is pretty much like what i do so that's the kind of the restorative justice type of thing it is restorative justice yes yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, so yeah. So you complete. You said you had forty-five, right? And it only completed seven. Yeah, okay. yeah. Because a lot of them have, you know, either pulled out or weren't appropriate. Um, just because they didn't actually go to a face-to-face -face dialogue doesn't mean that they weren't successful. Sometimes through the process, it's like a back-and-forth process. Like I meet individually with the victim and individually with the offender. And there's a lot of back and forth, transparent exchange of what's going on and where people are at in the process. Sometimes the victim gets enough information that they don't want to move forward. Oh, okay. okay. And sometimes I say it's selfish, but the offender will stop the process. Uh, and do they give you reasons why they stop the process? Uh, yeah, sometimes they do, or sometimes they just don't want to continue. And because it's voluntary and there's no punitive, you know, measures, if they stop the process, there's really nothing we can do. We can try to talk to them and get there. But. Mm. Yeah, that's got, that's got to be tough. I mean, I don't know if I could sit there and watch and look at the loved one, uh, or look at the person who took my loved one away in particular, you know, I'm talking about homicides. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh and, and try to have a dialogue with them and want to know what their last words were oh my god I, I, that would just i'd be a mess um and that's a one. you said they only meet one time though it's i know they're just time. back right yeah they meet they do some type of dialogue back and forth you said yes and, yeah yep. yeah and then they only meet one time right mm -hmm. and uh do you ever get the feeling that someone wants to you know kind of get to them just to hurt them is that is that well that's why the process is slow it's, you know, like I said, working with the person anywhere between six months and two years. And you're trying to vet that out. Certainly, you can never be 100% sure. But through the process, you kind of get a feeling of whether the person is sincere or not. I've done, myself, I've done three second-degree murders. Mm. And I've done two uh, felonious sexual assault cases. My coworker did um, a felonious sexual assault case, and my boss did one because we're the only three trained facilitators for the state of New Hampshire. Um, she did one that was a serious physical assault slash burglary. So, oh god, that's got to be so tough. Now she want that those particular people. I would assume they're females. They wanted to speak to the person who did this. Um, yeah, actually, they were all females except one. One of the felonious sexual assaults was a. Um, father who sexually abused his son and the other two uh, sex assaults were father daughters oh come on and they, and these people want to speak to their well they probably want to speak to the parents and ask them why they did this to them right I would assume yeah yeah they want they want answers to questions um, and they want to know they want the offender to know what their life has been like because of what uh, they did. Yeah, yeah. Does that? What kind of? Do you ever get any feedback from the offender uh, when they hear about you know what life is like post these incidents? What, what? Oh, absolutely. Because the process is there. There, there are three follow ups after with each 
the offender and the victim after post you know the dialogue and we also give them a satisfaction survey that asks some questions about the process so yeah this um some of the offenders um want to um they had wanted to like apologize but a lot of times in the criminal justice system the uh, defense attorney advises them not to say anything mm. at sentencing mm. or through the process and sometimes the victims are like well when you start the process with them they're like well they never showed any remorse or they never apologized so this is where you know they have those unanswered questions and if it doesn't go to trial and a lot of things don't come out they want to know like the mur one of the murders i did the it was the sis uh the sisters um her brother was murdered she wanted to know specifically from the offender what her brother's last words were what um why he you know what actually happened step by step what happened and i i actually thought the offender did a really honest job of communicating that and she felt that it was truthful god I, I i don't know if i could if i could do that i mean it's not I, for everybody it's, it's definitely not for me definitely not for me um thanks everyone who's joining in if you guys got any comments or questions make sure that you do put them in the chat uh tracy and i can cannot uh see you so um, because of the program that we're using so you have to say hello or wave or give a thumbs up or heart or something along those lines so we know that you are here thank you guys so much um so you started off in corrections and so uh i, I didn't know that so you started off in corrections uh and you were you were doing what were you doing for them i was a correctional counselor okay. at new haven Whaley okay. Avenue. And what'd you do? For, what was your, what, what were you doing? I mean, this is correctional. I had two, I had, no, it was just, um, you know, making sure basic needs and, and things like that. Um, the, I just lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I put these up and they distracted me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I had two, blo two blocks. So I was responsible for 102 inmates that okay. were pre-trial inmates because it was county jail. It wasn't prison. And um, it was things like making sure that they got legal calls. Um, sometimes they wanted to know when their next court date was. Um, they wanted to know um, some of them. We did have a few sentence inmates there. They'd want to know, you know, how much time they've done or just different things that they would send you a request slip and you would answer them. So basically I had a system where I tour the blocks twice a day. Once in the morning, I'd gather all my request slips. I'd go down to a little office that the counselor shared. I'd answer all the request slips and then I'd come back and tour the blocks. Sometimes they needed like underwear, socks, t-shirts. I would get that from the property room. I did a lot of networking so that I could get, so the offenders in my blocks got what they needed. Mm. But, um, yeah. Okay. So okay. And then I got a position at central office and I worked on the escape project years back um, where people, um, offenders Escaped? walked away. <laughs> well, they walked away from halfway houses. Okay. Not, like true escape. So, okay. and then I was responsible for 229 beds and halfway houses. I did that covering that. For okay. a while, and then my dream job of becoming a probation officer came true. Okay, okay, that's nice. So, uh, why was it your dream job? Is this something you thought about when you were a eight-year-old girl and said, "You know, I want to be a probation officer"? No, when I got <laughs> actually when I started college, I was a business major, <laughs> and I was flunking out. Sure. Uh, so, um, I went on. Old, I'm sure the work was hard. <laughs> academic probation. So, um, after doing some searching and seeing that I'm a very like personable, I like people, I like helping people, um, I got into criminal justice and I was really interested in probation because I feel that a probation officer is a, is a cross between a law enforcement officer because we have to enforce court ordered conditions and you do have peace officer status, so you have arrest powers, but the other side is you're a social worker. And it's your job to help in individuals that are placed in the community to transition back and become productive members of society. 
Mm-hmm. So. Okay. So, and you, uh, you did that for how long? Probation officer? Well, I was probation officer until 2009 when I got promoted to chief. And then I did that until I retired April 1st, 2016. And as chief, well, congratulations on your retirement. Thanks. Almost five years now. Uh is your your responsibilities as chief was is that like uh is that like uh you know you ran your own division what what does that mean as chief it's not like a, a unit you have a unit okay. of maybe um six seven you could have eight uh probation officers under you okay so uh when i got promoted so i did my whole career in waterbury until mm. i got promoted to chief and i ha- i went to new haven when i was a chief and then i was in new haven for three years as a chief and then i went to our training academy for my last few years oh okay so um yeah so when i was a chief in new haven i had a unit under me and um i also did the i was a supervisor of the women offender case management specialized unit too so sometimes you have specialized units under you so i did i did that as well oh. yep. okay all right all right you're kind of all over the place there that's that's good that's oh, good i see I, friends in here yeah yeah um i didn't know you guys had an, uh, listen I, I probably didn't know you guys have you have, you have an academy training academy i mean mm-hmm. is, is it rigorous like state police and no municipal police um, oh, okay there there is when i went to the training oh actually when i got hired there was no training academy the the only training academy i went through was corrections which as you know is the physical and the book stuff you were tested like every day it's probably the same as like police um so that was rigorous so there when i started with probation in 2000 there was no academy the academy started after me um there are two parts to the academy there's like the physical um you know learning with handcuffing and oc spray and the monognac baton and defensive tactics you know the red zones and everything uh that's my brother okay <laughs> um and then um there's the books the book side of it so they're getting um lessons on motivational interviewing um case management um oh god everything everything you can think of there are just so many topics so there how long is the academy how long is that i don't know how long it is now um but back then it was probably four to six weeks okay of book book stuff and then a week of um like the 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 tactics with the handcuff and OC spray. On that. Okay. And when you went to New Hampshire, there's nothing like that as far as you had to rewrite the policy, but there's no academy training that you had to go through to work with these. Oh, I no. Assume, for, yeah. for when I'm in Department of Corrections now, I went through like a week of civilian um, stuff, but they, they didn't have us do any behavior management or anything like that because I'm in victim services. Hmm. So I'm in a different you know unit even though my office is located in a prison mm, okay and so do you miss it i mean being retired and all do you miss it um what well, i was talking to one of my old co-workers slash friend today and what i do miss honestly um was when i was a po and i was out in the field mm. all the time and impacting people's lives mm. that that's what i miss that's what i miss okay being okay. a being a supervisor which i'm sure you know um some of it is babysitting you know i hate to say that but it is and um but when you see people that have worked for you get promoted that's oh, yeah. a great feeling so yes you've mentored them so yes so uh i think this brother just said i think he's saying the academy's oh, probably 13 weeks corrections now. he's corrections. talking about corrections oh okay okay yeah. Okay. Corrections yeah. is only thirteen weeks. No, that's not right. He's reti- He's retired. Corrections. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. I don't know. All right. But that uh, was back then. He's been. Nope. What? 
Oh, I think he, to the question of do you miss it or not. I think that was the answer to the question. Uh, <laughs> uh, he, he's probably saying he doesn't miss it either. If he's correct. No, he definitely doesn't miss yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can't imagine that. Just the, just the, you know, I had a few corrections officer friends and just the, the amount of fights that they would go into, the codes and all that kind of stuff. So I can imagine not, not missing that. So. Well, I'll tell you, um, in, when was it? Oh, God. 89, about a year after I graduated from college, I was doing some volunteer work at the youth prison, Manson Youth Institution um, in Cheshire. And I developed an anger management program that I was using with the youth there. Um, and one day, actually, it, it's kind of remarkable. Back in those days, I actually had keys. I was not an employee, but I was a volunteer. I had keys and I had an office in one of the, the wings. And um, right outside my office, someone got stabbed. Mm. And the officer, there, one officer was on break and there was only one officer. And there was no other staff in the unit that day. The cottage, they called it back then. So I had to step over this bleeding person while the officer was coming to take care of that and go run the bubble as they called it so you know you have different experiences you do see a lot of things but were you ever scared doing that i mean you're, you said you were about uh, you were i was you were, in my 20s um was i scared no i don't think so no just kind no. of just handled it right <laughs> yeah you just did what you had to do it was like instinct okay like i'm this volunteer who should never be touching this bubble board but i had to do it i mean i had to call the code and everything so as a volunteer did you get that training i mean you have... um you got like a two-day training it was more about boundaries and ethics and not bringing things in for inmates and kind of <laughs> uh, the stuff that people are well i don't want to but because <laughs> i i had a good rapport with the officers and sometimes i'd hang out in the bubble uh i learned what to do so yeah yeah okay okay huh. yeah all the stuff that comes that magically just shows up in prisons that uh, that nobody's yeah. bringing in so right but I don't want to talk about I don't want to talk about corrections. <laughs> I see my man Art's in, Art's in here, so I, I keep meaning to have you on. Art, I'm going to contact you, man. I want you to come on and talk about your experiences. Um, so, yeah, so you're retired now and enjoying life and living life and up there in New Hampshire in the cold where it snows like every other day and stuff, right? So, what what else are you doing in your retirement? What else am I doing? Well, since the pandemic hit, I haven't yeah, well. <laughs> been do, do, doing much. I mean, I'm not one of your esteemed guests that has. Oh, you definitely own. are. You definitely are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he said too young at the time to realize the danger. Yeah, when um, you're stepping over, when you're stepping over bleeding people and stuff. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, he was he was in that big riot in Garner in 1992. So okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he has. A lot of stories. But. So, uh, I, I, um, I don't mean to cut you off, but a no. friend of mine, uh, Eric Williams, was 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 hurt, uh, injured in that in the uh, Garner in '92, I believe. I believe it was '90. Yeah, it was '92. Yeah. Oh, my was, my brother probably knows him. Yeah, yeah. So Eric Williams, he was. I think he was the corrections officer who was knocked out, and uh, they held him. They held him by, behind, you know, in in a cell or whatever, something along those lines. So. Dave, do you know him? Um, so what else am I doing? Um, well, I had a little consulting business. He's saying, David's saying, yes, he did know him, 1993. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I do have a little consulting business on the side. So I have done um, some trainings. I'm like certified in trauma training, suicide prevention for law enforcement, uh, Myers Briggs. Uh, That's a personality kind. Con yep. Personality. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um. Oh God. What else am I? Oh, problem gambling awareness. So mm -hmm. I have gotten contracted to do some of these trainings. Um. Not since the pandemic, but I did that on the side, and then you know, occasionally I'm guest speaking at colleges. Again, the pandemic has kind of put a a damper on that. Um, and I was traveling a lot. 
Wow, that's 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 what retirement's all about. You you tell me what to work stuff. I was expecting you to say, listen, I was traveling, I was yeah, doing this. I was and, traveling. You know, sewing or whatever. I don't know. No, no sewing. <laughs> no, no creativity there. I mean I go I go to the gym trying to stay healthy. Okay. Um but yeah, Vegas three times a year. Um I just went I went on a cruise last you- February before everything changed. Talk about problem awareness gambling. You, we might have to have a conversation research. with you. Research, uh, it's research, yeah. I'm search, I'm search, research, yeah. It's okay. only a problem <laughs> when you're gambling your like mortgage payments away or things okay. like that, you know. But when you're you controlled and you take what you're willing to lose, that's not a problem. But yeah. I, I always t- I joke, I tell them it's research, it's mm. research. So I went on a cruise before, um the uh pandemic hit and closed everything down so last february and i was supposed to be on one last week but because mm. of the pandemic we canceled it so yeah i was in the caribbean okay so okay. yeah i miss traveling i miss seeing people live you know like in person okay but, um yeah nice. so I'm just trying to relax i'm actually taking a sign language class right now through naugatuck valley ends in a few days i haven't learned much i'll tell you there's a little aren't those free are those free no it's like 125 dollars for like uh i don't know if it's six or eight weeks but um i mean i could do a few numbers (laughs) wow you really got your money's worth there (laughs) listen i'm like i'm like i'm probably gonna flunk the final exam but (laughs) I had actually thought about doing it. I thought, I, well, for some reason, I thought it was free. I thought they offered those for free to uh, to learn sign language or whatever. So. Well, this it was one hundred and twenty five dollars, but you know what? I think I would have been better off being in class for this. It's v. I'm having a hard time with it. Mm. I need I need a person in front of me. Yeah, no, I I can understand that instead of a video. <laughs> but uh, there's no instructor, or you guys don't sign to each other. There is an instructor, but like. You have to practice on your own. So if I'm not holding my hand in the proper, I'm not going to know because there's no instructor to see it. Okay. Uh, I, I Listen, I guess that makes sense. I guess that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. So, so I wish um was an instructor. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so you and I were talking uh, before uh, you were conversing about some of your experiences there in probation. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were talking about, uh, uh, well, in particular, uh, let's let's just get, bring it to law enforcement. Some of the things that people don't see and realize that it goes on, um, you know, in, in uh, when, when people have, you know, racist attitudes or, or things like that. And so you told a story about the one time that you were with a friend in, at, a, at a store. Uh, oh yeah so yeah. you want to talk about that or the incident with the the my probationer well let's talk about all of it so let's start okay. with the store and then <laughs> okay well this is so um a friend and i were shopping in macy's this was many years ago i can't remember what year it was but we were shopping in macy's and um i had maybe like 150 dollars worth of stuff and she had hundreds of uh, she was doing big shopping so while she was in the dressing room i said hey i'm gonna go check out and um she was you know she was still trying on clothes so i went to check out and there was a little elderly white woman at the cash register so i went and she had a coupon at the register so when she rang me out she scanned the coupon so I got my stuff and I was waiting for my friend. My friend comes out of the dressing room. I was like, hey, go to that little lady over there because she'll give you a coupon on your clothing. So her arms were filled with clothes. So she went over to the register and um, went to check out and she asked the one for the coupon and the lady was like, I don't have a coupon. So my friend looked back at me. I was several feet back, you know, off to the side. And she was like, you know, what the heck? And I was, so I approached and I was like, you just gave me the coupon. She's like, no, I didn't. Like she blatantly lied about it. And um, so my friend just left all the clothes there. Now me, 
I want the manager. I want this lady fired, you know, and my friend's like, nope, let's just leave. Mm -hmm. So I, I couldn't understand why years later when I was actually working at the training academy and getting um, some advanced trainings on cultural diversity and multicultural affairs and, and unconscious bias. And um, we were doing a training on, on like white guilt and white privilege. So um, my boss, you know, I, so I brought up this story and I was like, well, I think I'm, you know, supporting because I want to get the manager and this and that. And one of the women in the training said, we don't need you to save us. What we need you to do is stand with us. So I was like, well, in that instant, incident, instance, what should I have done? And they were like, you should have returned the merchandise and not capitalized on that privilege. So, you know, I certainly would have done that if I was smarter back then. I just knew what was happening was wrong and I wanted to, you know, fight the good fight. But I've learned along the way there's other ways to handle that and it would have been more supportive had I returned the merchandise and not capitalized on the coupon. So. Yeah, I, I remember. I, I, I think I struggled when you told me that story before and I'm still struggling as to why that makes sense to return. To, I mean, Because I, as a white woman, was privileged to get the coupon and my friend who was black was denied that privilege so i should have returned it so i didn't take part in the privilege and that would have shown the solidarity I, okay i can understand that but is it not is it not good to get this person i mean the little old lady you don't want her fired but <laughs> disciplined somehow I mean, or, or with the returning Maybe they got to call the manager over to do all this. And you got to explain to the manager what we're doing. Maybe that, I mean. I don't know. That was just yeah. what was explained to me, like, during that that training of that's how I could have been more supportive. Right, right, right. Because I'm yeah. like, first one, I want the manager. I want yeah. the game, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, no, that's that's certainly interesting. Do you have any, any? I know there's a couple of other stories we wanted to talk about. Um Situations like that where, did you see anything like that in corrections? I'm not asking to tell them bosses or whatever, but do you ever see anything like that where people are, uh, uh, you know, exploiting? Oh, actually, we did tell a story about that, about about um, some drug arrests and things. You, you, you told a story about that, uh, drug arrests, where people were, you saw where people were, were treated differently because of where they lived. Oh, yeah, that's, that yeah. was clients, clients, not staff. staff. Right. Well, there were, uh, I mean, there were, incidences you know where staff were bringing drugs in and some were fired and some were transferred mm. you know it also oh, wow. depended on okay. who your daddy was okay you know um yeah. so the story you're talking about is um i told a a sentence disparity story where um an inner city young man black um has some possession of crack cocaine uh counterpart in a suburb has powder cocaine and he's white and he has a private attorney and the young man in um the city has a public defender so the kid with the private attorney from the suburb gets what i call a walk gets probation, a youthful offender, so he's not going to have a record, and the young black man goes to jail and then has to come out on probation. Same amount of stuff, you know, one is crack, one is cocaine, pretty much same thing. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, we all hear stories like that all the time, and it's just so heartbreaking that, that this stuff goes on. Um, so as you process that, uh, that, that particular incident that you went through, years later i mean wh what is your sense i mean obviously you have a sense in in a window <laughs> into a place that you know many other uh, minority persons don't get into i mean i'm sure that you probably heard conversations uh um, that other people aren't privy to um mm -hmm. what, what is the sense that that people do, do people talk about this or do they not talk about it or or you know uh, the, the privilege that we have or it let's let me ask you this if, if you were telling the story to to a group of other white people 
would they say what the old little old lady did was wrong, or would they say, uh, you know, hey, it's just the price to do a business? What would be their what would be their their take on it? I think it depends on the audience. It depends on their upbringing and their awareness, because there are a lot of people you won't see things if you don't open your eyes and pay attention. You can go through, you know, life in tunnel vision and not see anything. But that these disparities, the um, discrimination has always been there. It's a matter if you want to wake up and see it happening and you're exposed to it. Or is your head just stuck in the sand and you don't want to see it? I think that sometimes educating people can be helpful, but... They have to be open to it. Yeah. So I'm always trying to have those conversations with people, and sometimes they're receptive, and sometimes they're not. Yeah. You so I, role model. So in, in my book, and you bought the book, and I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so in, I tell a couple of stories, and a friend of mine called me today, uh, and I appreciate him reading the book, buying the book, and all that. And so he called me today, and he couldn't believe two of the stories that I told. And he said, if anybody else had told these stories, I would think that they're lying. And I want you guys to buy, actually buy the book, so I'm not going to tell both of the stories. <laughs> but one of the one of the stories I will tell. Uh, so when I was a a a, um, a police, when I was just entering the police academy, um, we were do, we were filling out the paperwork. Uh, for um, you know, thing, you know, just the you know, social security number, dependents, and all that kind of stuff. So we, mm -hmm. we got to the to the part about the dependents. I was twenty two years old. Uh, hey, Trey, uh, hey, hey, Asia. So when I was, was twenty two years old, and I was about to, you know, we we're filling everyone else filling out the dependents. I had no kid. I had no kids, right? So, uh, and so we're filling all this out, and so uh, one of the guys who's leading the, you know, the group of us, about ten of us, who are about to become police officers, and so he says, uh, you know, make sure you guys are filling out your dependents. So everybody else starts writing information down, but I'm not writing anything because I didn't have any kids. So he says to me, um, well, he didn't say to me, but he just kind of looks around and says, hey, you know, uh, everybody in here is writing down their dependents. You mean to tell me everybody's writing their their dependents down? And I'm looking like wait a minute, is this guy talking about me? He thinks because I'm a young black guy because I got kids. And so, you know, other people, the, the actual, you know, other guys who were cops, they were, you know, they were staying, uh, you know, off to the wall snickering and stuff. So, so then after I, uh, we're all leaving and then one of the guys comes up to me and says, one of the other soon-to-be recruits comes up to me and says, hey, listen, we all know this guy's talking about you. I feel really bad about how you were, you know, what was going on in there. I'm like, listen, this, I know he's talking about me too, but, but this is really, you know, this is real. So this is, that's the story. So when a friend of mine reads the book, he says, listen, I can't believe that this happened. He asked me who it was. I told him who it was, who did it. And I remember who it was, who did it. Um, right. Because obviously, you know, six months later, I'm in, I'm in the police department. I know this guy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so it was, you know, and he just couldn't believe that. So that's my, that's why I'm asking is that some people just don't believe us when we say certain things. Right. And so probably if you were in that situation and maybe if you tell people about how, you know, you're telling people how you saw your friend treated. Mm -hmm. And so if it was two black people, they might not, you know, we tell these stories and they not, might not believe that this stuff was going on. Mm -hmm. And again, my friend said to me, listen, if anybody else told me this story, I wouldn't believe that somebody in our police department would, would have done that. But it's the absolute truth. It's the absolute it truth. The truth. It is the yeah. truth. Another story I told you was about a public defender. I had um, an elderly guy, he was in his 60s, on probation. Um, he had a full-time job. And one night, he was um, yelling at his, him and his friend were in the middle of the street, and they were yelling, and someone called the cops. And he got arrested, and so did the other guy. They both got arrested for breach of peace. So anybody that doesn't know, it's a misdemeanor offense. You know, it's, it's really a nothing charge. It's like a nuisance. Um, and the public defender called me up and asked if I was violating the guy. And I'm like, violating him on a breach of peace where there was no victim. It wasn't a breach of peace where it was domestic or anyone got hurt. Both of them got arrested. They had a couple of cocktails and they were yelling in the street. So, um, I'm like, absolutely not. I said that, uh, and he, he was black. I said, 
this man has a full-time job. He doesn't have any, you know, other issues. He's compliant. I'm absolutely not violating him. I said, he shouldn't even be going to jail on this. There's no victim. You know, basically kind of do your job. So um, my client came in the next day and he thanked me for, you know, not violating him. And he said he didn't know what I said to his public defender. But the next thing he knew, he was out. Mm. So I was just like, you know, that's on, you know, do you want to have another black man penalized in jail for 90 days and lose a job where he goes to? He's got like perfect attendance. Mm. For, for for a misdemeanor that no one got hurt. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it happens. It it happens. Oh, it, it, it absolutely All happens. the time. So, uh, so I want to say hi. Uh, uh, Tamara Johnson Devereaux mm -hmm. says, I appreciate the fact that you have educated yourself and have worked hard for equal rights for all people. Thank you. Thank oh, you. You're welcome. <laughs> and uh, Kevin Ofer says, hey, Captain from Maryland and a retired trooper listening in. Thank you so much. We really, really appreciate that. Make sure you tell your other uh, retired and current troopers to make sure that they check out the podcast. Um, I wanted to ask you. Um, I want to ask you. Uh, you you've taught the training. You sat in the, on these different trainings, multiculturalism, diversity training, et cetera, et cetera. People ask me all the time. Uh, I've done shows about it. Do you think that this type of training works, in your opinion? So again, it goes back to if you have an open mind and you're open to learning something new, like I did in that instance about um, the privilege and you know what that meant and how it looked, um, I was open to it. If you're not open to it and you don't believe that it exists, then it's not gonna work. But I think a lot of times when we have these trainings um, and in probation, they had these, um, they called them brown bag discussions. The people around the table are generally not the people that need to be at the table. And that's the problem mm. when you have the voluntary, you know, trainings. And then if you make it involuntary where they're mandatory and they have to go, people don't want to be there and they're not paying attention. But again, it's, it's like wanting to open your mind to other possibilities and, better solutions mm. you know I, all i know how to do is role model how i treat people and set that example as you know a po dealing with people um you know just as a citizen every day you know i have a diverse group of friends i treat them as people i don't say oh my i have a black friend and i have a hispanic friend and i have a white friend no i have friends Mm -hmm. So, I, again, I think, you know, it's that being open to it. Anything can work. You know, we we're, we have great minds. We can learn things. You can teach old dogs new tricks. Mm -hmm. But you have to be open to it. So, it's going to work for those that are receptive. And it's not going to work for people that aren't. They're going to let it go in one ear and out the other. You know, but I think it's important to offer trainings and, um, you know, it's important for them to be experiential in nature, you know, like breaking out into groups, doing a video. It, it can't be just lecture. Um, one of the best videos out there is Brown Eyed, Blue Eyed Experience mm -hmm. by Jane Elliott. Mm -hmm. They use that at um, CSSD probation um for one of the trainings that's a really powerful training and i just saw an article um of her being interviewed about something else uh you know having to do with it but not the brown eyed blue eyed but just how we treat people yeah yeah jane elliott you know is kind of a hero to a lot of people who are My in that entire yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, there's a there's a YouTube uh, video of her, you know, asking, uh, asking a, an, an audience saying, um, "All you white people out here," and this is her words. Right? And she's white herself. For anybody who right, doesn't right. know who Jane Elliott is, so yeah, she's yeah, 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 yeah. You, <laughs> she's saying, uh, you know, all you white people out here, I want you guys to stand up if you want to be treated like your African American brothers and oh, sisters in this I country. I saw that. Yeah. And surprisingly, nobody stands up. 
And she says again, right? Yeah, shocking. So, and she says again, no, you all didn't understand what I said. If you want to be treated like black people are treated in this country, stand up. Again, nobody stands up. And then she says, okay, that tells me very clearly that you know what's going on. You don't want it for yourself. Why are you willing to accept it for other people? So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a powerful uh, uh, lesson that she has been doing since the sixties, right? She started that blue eyed, brown eyed experiment. Uh, in the 19, uh, right after, yeah, yeah, in her classroom, right after, um, uh, Martin Luther King was killed. Um, so, and she's been doing it, you know, for 30, 40, it's gonna be 40, 40 years, 40, almost 50 years now. She's been doing that particular and still giving talks and speeches and just going strong, you know, right. As an educator and, and the video that you talked about, I, I, I watched that for this, uh, diversity training that I had to go through. And in that particular video, right. She starts out with the blue eyes, the blue eyes are better than everyone else. And then the next day, she says, listen, I made a mistake. All the brown eyed people are much better. And so you see, you see the total reversal. Now, p- the kids are, who are treated well uh, and looked down upon it, all the blue eyed kids or the brown eyed kids. Next day, now they're, they're crying. And it, it just, just, just did the whole, the whole thing was just, was just very. But what, what interested me about that was, was the parents, because many of the parents were watching this watching their kids go through this experiment and again this is the 60s right so these right. parents grew up in you know if they're if they're you know 25 they grew up in the 40s right, right. i mean they, they were right. born in the 40s or so so and, and so some of them couldn't get behind this behind some of this this education and, and that to me i mean the kids are one thing but to, to me it was the parents who are solidified in their thinking in their training and their upbringing as you said it, are they are they even open to this to to the trainings that you're doing uh today and that the states are are, are offering you know right so, right yeah so um a couple more comments here uh thank you so much chris casey uh another wonderful show uh jane elliott is raw yeah she definitely is uh uh diversity training needs to be mandatory in elementary schools and throughout all of high school what's your thoughts about that you think diversity training should be mandatory Oh, I, I, I do. I do. I think, you know, I think racism, prejudice, discrimination, I think it's taught. Mm. I, th- I think that uh, kids get it from their parents mm. and who they're, who they're surrounded by. Because, you know, there's a lot of videos out there where you see a little brown child and a white child and they're hugging and they don't know the difference. I've seen a lot of TikTok videos lately of parents putting their little kid on there and saying, um, what color is your skin? I remember this little boy, uh, the mom said, what color is your skin? He said, peach. And what color is so-and-so, his best friend? He said, brown. You know. And then she says to him, is there a difference? He said, nope. You know. So mm-hmm. it's what you, what you teach. But yeah. yeah, Jan has a good point. I mean... Yeah we we have to start educating early yeah uh and uh kevin says uh, we'll do very interesting uh, to see the racial disparities across the board but it has to change do you think it's going to change i mean we just had a bunch of people much of uh, idiots storming the cap I, i'm never i'm never going to get over this <laughs> the storm of the capital january 6th to me it's like a, it's like another line 11 it's just just a crazy crazy thing do you think this is we really can't break through some of these ignorant barriers well, I don't want to get political on here, but um, I think let's let's do it. Of, let's do it. A <laughs> lot of the previous president—I don't mean to offend anybody if they're listening—but the previous president's mentality and who he aligned himself with. You know, you figure there's 70 million people out there that think like he does. Yeah, and that's scary. That's scary. That. This is allowed to happen. And are these people actually going to be prosecuted? Some are. Some have been arrested. Uh, there's been, a, arrested. I think they've arrested about 200 people have been arrested so far. And yeah. Anyone can get arrested, Cap. You know that. Uh, are yes, you're right. Are going to be convicted? Yeah, yeah. Are they well, going listen, to be convicted? Yeah, yeah. And what does that say? If these people don't get convicted, just like, I mean, we're still waiting for the cops to get convicted in minnesota Mm. you know if people don't get convicted it's not going to change the results have to change 
There was some kind of update with the Minnesota thing. I meant to do a, a show about that. Something like he tried to plead guilty and uh, it wasn't enough time. or I think the judge rejected it or something like along those lines. So I have to look into that and try to do a show about it. Yeah. I, I think uh, LaVonda, educating the truth in, no, in non, not fiction, not know this fiction they teach in schools now. I don't know. <laughs> I think she's sipping it. <laughs> She's saying, no, she's saying teach, you know, teach the truth and not the, you know, fiction that they're teaching. Oh, 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 okay, okay, okay. I'm sorry. Maybe maybe I'm stepping on something. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I love you. I'm only it. on water, so. <laughs> uh, they should, uh, let's see, They Kevin says they should, uh, that is a federal offense and not a state statute. Yeah, I'm listening. We're all agreement that they should be going to going to uh, prison you know for the things that they did that's crazy that's just crazy and you know for them not to hold the the president accountable and um you know mm -hmm. these senators are going back on their word it's just it's really really disgusting mm -hmm. what's going on down there in washington really really disgusting we don't know who's protecting america uh, we, don't, we don't know yeah we don't know um oh, yeah so, <laughs> yes thank you so much for translating I, I i was i was completely lost in that so um so what, what's the plans for the future you're going to keep continue um giving lectures and traveling the world and country and going to <laughs> vegas three four times a year and and doing doing, doing research, research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah ho hopefully we'll see um i don't know how long um i'm gonna be doing my job you know i yeah. i'm definitely committed through the end of 2022 because um i'm on the board for the national association of victims assistance and corrections and we have an annual conference every year this year it last year it was supposed to be in phoenix and this year it was supposed to be in new hampshire we were sponsoring it this year but because the pandemic happened we're in phoenix this year so next year it's New Hampshire, and my boss made me promise that I won't leave her until the conference is done. Because I'm doing all the work. So that restorative justice. That, I mean, when I was going through my degree, uh, we had to look at that, and it's, it's actually very successful. Uh, it's it's more successful than I would think it would be because that's not for me. But people who have gone through that, what you're doing and providing, mm -hmm. the restorative justice programs throughout the country are actually very very successful. People do. It's very cathartic, if you can say that, you know, very, you know, stress releasing. They really get some answers. So people, Absolutely. Um, yeah. The, you know, actually all the people that have, you know, gone through it fully or partially and stopped the process were satisfied with the process mm. and how, how it's done. And this, um, Connecticut does not have it, but um, there are 32 or 33 states that do have it connecticut is not one of them though i'm sorry to say mm. um but if they want to hire me as a consultant i'd be happy to get that program up and running in connecticut all right well i'll be your assistant on that so <laughs> i i had to, i had to we had to do a couple papers on that yeah yeah, I had to do a couple of papers on uh, restorative justice. That's why I was so shocked that, that more people aren't doing it. Because I was, I, to tell you the truth, you know, being a cop, I'm like, this is nonsense. But then you start reading the research. It's like, oh, okay. It does, it, you know, it, people are getting the satisfaction that you're saying. And it becomes, in both parties, people end up hugging and, and forgiving each other. Yeah, like, sometimes. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. tell you, if you have time, watch the Van Jones. Um, you can probably get it on demand. It's called The Redemption Project. Um my job's a little different because it's more victim-centered and and his, you know, seems a little more offender-centered, but um, it's definitely a victim-centered process. Mm. You know, it's not exactly the same, but he had some decent episodes on there and you could get a feel for what the program is. Mm. So we have one other, in New Hampshire, we have another restorative justice program. Um, you know this is under post-conviction services so for the offenders that are already sentenced and we have it, it's called an accountability letter bank and it's where an offender can write a letter of amends apology to their victim and then our office will reach out to the victim and give them the option whether they want want the letter and whether they want the offender to know that they read it and received it 
um, whether they want to respond to it. So we put all with restorative justice, the, all the power is back with the victim. Yeah, very good. Very good. Yeah, yeah that's that's good work. That's good work. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that's pretty much it. I mean, unless anybody else has any 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 uh, questions and or comments. So, um, what you were you were just teaching teaching probation type stuff in when you were teaching at the at Northwest and other guest lectures. Yeah, I was teaching like um, I've guest lectured on probation, uh, corrections, juvenile justice, women in in um, corrections, different things. Mm. Oh yeah, I lectured at Quinnipiac years back too. Yeah, that's pretty big time, right? Quinnipiac. Yeah. So, well, they're all big time. They're all big time. So. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Did you ever think about becoming an adjunct or just trying to get and just trying to stay yeah, there? Or, I am. Or? I am trying. I'm thinking about you know trying to get in. I actually took a course, um, to teach online. Mm. You know, they they like you to have some sort of certifications through a quality assurance company. It's called Quality Matters. So I went, okay. I took the course. So okay. we'll see. Okay. We'll see. Yeah, well. But I'm always, you know, I, I'm i not opposed to doing, you know, stuff for free too. You know, like guest lecturing for different different things. And like I said, I, I have done um, the uh, suicide prevention for law enforcement. I was one of the lecturers. I, I was actually post-certified for Waterbury PD, but when they did my certification up at post, they uh, put me under Waterford. So I never ended up actually teaching at the PD. Mm. So when I went to get recerted, that's why. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So, um, that, that's, have you ever had a chance to, to talk to individuals and, and make, try to, I don't want to say talk them down, but but yeah, talk them down to to really kind of get them to refocus and recenter themselves. You know, people going through depression and, and all that. Police officers in particular, have you dealt with? You've done that? Well, I did. Um, we had that conference at Central, the Melanie Rieger Conference Against Violence. Mm-hmm. So two years in a row, I had the segment for teaching it. So I had a lot of cops in my class mm-hmm. that took the class because they could get. Uh, credits for it because I was post certified. Okay. So I have, you know, I have had experiences. I actually, um, when I got trained in it, I actually taught all the probation officers for adult probation, all the officers, all the chiefs and all of juvenile probation officers. So I did that, um, over, I don't know, almost a year period where I was, I was teaching two classes a day, several times a week. Um, and I had several people come up to me after to talk about their experiences and what was going on with them and, you know, then made some referrals. I also always had a list of resources and encouraged them to contact EAP because we had like total care EAP. Mm. Um, and they get to have three counseling sessions during work time mm. and not have to take time. Yeah. So, um, the problem, the problem with cops and I, and, and, and I think that this is a problem that just goes beyond, you know, is that first way we got to get over this stigma of mental health. Cops are so gung ho, so alpha, so solitary in their, <laughs> You just leave. <laughs> cops are sometimes are so uh, uh, solitary in their in their thinking and their thought process that they that they refuse to seek help a lot of times. And I think that, that probably there's a lot of people out there who just refuse to seek help the help that they uh, that they need. So um, you know, I think that that's really really just a problem. So uh, Lavanda can probably speak to that. You know, just the, the different people out there who are just. Uh, uh, you know, so adamant about not getting help, or so, or so scared to get help. Sorry what are you doing? That. Just hanging, just, just hanging up on me. <laughs> just hanging up on me. <laughs> so, like, you know, I'm ending the show. See y'all later. Bye. <laughs> but I was just saying that a lot of times people are just so reluctant to get help 
because they're because they're going to be so solid in themselves, particularly cops. But I think that happens for a lot of people. They just don't want to reach out. Re- don't don't want to reach out uh, for that help. You know, so it's the stigma associated right. with it. And for cops, it's the fear of losing their badge and they're gone if mm. they reach out for help. That they feel like they're going to be looked at as unstable. And that's going to count against them, and they're not going to be able to go back in the in the field. I, I did an interview. I have not released it yet. I keep saying I'm going to release it, but I want to get, do some things for 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 the month of February for Black History Month. So I'm tr- going to try to release it very soon. Where I had talked to a psychologist who is a former police detective, um, and he went back. He got he got a shootout in Michigan, uh, and as a result of that, retired about a year early about 19 years into his career he retired and went back for his phd became a psychologist psychi- psychologist and so he talks about just this whole alpha uh, personality that that cops develop and we really had to change it at the at the administration level and you know because again cops are so solitary you know as a police officer particularly it's really small towns Mm-hmm. Um, you can be the only police officer that you see the whole shift. So you got to have this, this persona that you're super tough. Right. And, and, you know, because you can't show weakness because your backup could be an hour away, you know, literally. So you have to, you have to present this image. And so therefore, if you present the image or, or try to go get help, it, you'll get teased not, not only by your coworkers, but you'll get teased by the administration saying, listen, you're, you're, you're a cop, you know, man up, you know, we don't, we don't do that kind of stuff. What, Hey, you got to go talk to the shrink, you know, what, what's wrong with you and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so they, they, they're trying to, they're trying to change, trying to change that, that type of, you know, thinking. And I got to think that a lot of people, um, when you look at the amount of people who are killing uh, young kids uh, who are in LGBT communities who are killing themselves, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of people are killing themselves because, over COVID, losing their jobs and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot being of bullied. things being bullied, right? There's a lot of things that are going on, uh, you know, in people's minds. So, Well, uh, one thing that was um, said to me many years ago is even a therapist needs a therapist. Hmm. So... You know, when I, you know, taught the class, I talked about the water cooler talk and the Mm -hmm. gossiping and, you know, that's a way of bullying and leaving people out. And I said, just remember, everyone is is battling something in their life and you don't know what they're battling. Mm -hmm. So a kind word can change their day yeah. yeah and an unkind word can also change their day that's true so as well if we yeah. just keep in mind that you know everybody has a battle and when you go to work you know it's time to do work and it's not you know your personal life coming out so if people can remember that everybody's carrying something and you know you would think, oh, so-and-so is not pulling their weight. But you don't know what's going on with so-and-so. They may have something going on with administration that they can't tell you. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Very true. So, so thank you so much for coming on the show. I You're really, welcome. really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me. Great conversation. Yeah, you know, thank you so much for your service, you know, giving your years uh, to to the, to the, the state states now. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, educating the younger people who want to be uh, parole officers or enter law enforcement, criminal justice system, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Really, I enjoyed the conversation. Learned a lot. Thanks. Thanks. Absolutely. So, all right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to call it. Um, but uh, we have a show this Wednesday. Aisha and I—I I don't know if she's still in the room—but Aisha and I will be doing messy entanglements. We're going to have. Actually, it's going to be another heavy show. We, we try to keep it light, light and laughter, but it's going to be a heavy show. We're going to talk about our men meeting the emotional needs of women. Oh boy! Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a heavy one. So that's what we're going to talk about: our men meeting the the emotional needs of women. So uh, we had a heavy one last time. We have a heavy one this time, and so we shall see what's what the what the what the uh, what the situ- situation is. So. That should be every week, messy entanglement. I, well, you talk to talk to my co-host there. I'd like to do it every week. <laughs> talk to my co-host. <laughs> um, so, and it's not going to be on Captain Hunter's podcast. We started our own uh, uh, other uh, podcast 
Messy Entanglement. So wherever you're looking at this at, through Facebook or through um, uh, through YouTube, it's just type in Messy Entanglements, um, and you should uh, find us there. Messy Entanglements. I sent. I should have sent everyone a like. So make sure you like the page, and that way you should get no notified of when we do stuff. So it's not, don't come to Captain Hunter's podcast on Wednesday, seven thirty p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You got to go to Messy Entanglements, and we're going to stream just like we do now, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm looking forward to it. Have a lot of fun, and yes, like the Facebook page. Yes, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So like the Facebook page, Cat, um, like this one, <laughs> Captain Hunter's podcast, and like Messy Entanglements. So, and uh, yes, a lot of people saying they can't wait. Shine Brown saying can't wait. Uh, James Collins says thank you both. Very informative. Yes, it was. Yes, yes, it was. Very informative. Thank you. A lot of loves love, out there. Love for Tracy. Love you too. <laughs> um, so that's it, guys. Take care of yourselves. Much love and peace. We'll talk to you on Wednesday. See you Wednesday. Take care. Police reform is more than just a trending topic. My name is Lawrence Hunter. I'm a retired police captain from the state of Connecticut, and I've written a new book called Police Reform. And I talk about the evolution of law enforcement here in America and what changes need to be made in order to improve the relationship between the police and the communities that they serve. Over the past few months, it has become increasingly more important and more evident that there's something amiss and awry between the police and the communities that they serve. So whether you're about defunding the police or defending the police, if you're about Blue Lives Matter or Black Lives Matter, no matter what side of the fence you happen to sit on, make sure that you pick up your copy of Police Reform today.